Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Grounded Podcast with Pastor Matt Round. This is episode 29, and today we are going to be answering yet another question we received in an email. Hello, Pastor Matt and Noah. Most churches I have gone to over my life have not had church membership. Is this something that a church should have formalized, and what is the proper purpose of it? Is a church that does not have membership a congregation that a true believer should avoid? It's a good question. So, in other words, what is church membership, and why is it so important? Here to answer that question is Pastor Matt Round. Hello, Pastor Matt. Hey, Noah. Good to talk to you again. So when we're talking about church membership, let's uh, get a couple of things clear about the church in general. When we talk about the church, we can talk about it in two very broad ways, the universal church and the local church. When we talk about the universal church, uh, we are talking about all believers, all genuine believers in all places. And you could even extend that to all time. From the beginning of the church until Christ comes back to collect his church, there is a single body that is identified as being the bride of Christ, as belonging to Christ. It is the group of people that God has called out for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation uh, out of the world and to be called sons and daughters. So that, that the church is this universal large-scale body, the vast majority of which we will never meet in person in the flesh this side of eternity. Uh, the other way that we talk about church is the local church. Uh, that is inherent to the name, uh, local as a local body of believers that are gathered in a specific place, a specific city. Um, a local church is made up of true believers. When we talk about the local church, we're not just talking about a gathering of people who happen to be in a church building. When we talk about the local church and rightly understand the local church, we're talking about a gathering of believers and that particular local gathering, they have certain characteristics. They have a particular organization. They have recognized church leaders, not only leaders in general, but people who lead and direct specific ministries. Uh, they have uh, plans or organized plans for outreach and evangelism. They carry on functions like church discipline. So um, it's important to recognize that being a part of the church is a reality built into salvation. Being part of a local church is a biblical command as we exercise things like the one another's and our spiritual gifts and being part of a local church, I would say is a biblical command and is different in nuance than this question. This question is talking about formal church membership, having your name listed and associated and recognized by a particular local church. And I think that kind of comes back to the heart of how tied are we to the local church in general? Uh, Sadly, lots of people today see the local church as kind of a, a fluid thing uh, at best, or maybe a disposable thing at worst. Uh, the most common approach to church is that we look for some place that meets needs, these felt needs that we have. It's a place that makes me feel a particular way, that has these preferences that line up with mine, that has ministries that meet these perceived needs. And as those things change, then you know, I'll find somewhere else that feels like a better fit at that time. Now, there are some key decisions, some key things that go into the decision uh, that influence what local church you attend. There should be solid preaching. Uh, there should be God-honoring leadership. There should be doctrinal clarity on these biblically essential issues. Um, and when there are several options that fit those criteria in a given community, then it is kind of a matter of prayerful consideration as to which church God would call you to be a part of. Uh, but that prayer then should be directed toward the end of becoming rooted and deeply connected to a particular local body, uh, a body that you grow with in your faith, a body that you process joy and difficulty with, a body that you move through seasons of peace and seasons of struggle with. So it's this long-term 
commitment, whether it is a formalized name on the list commitment or simply the way that you approach church. Uh, believers are called to be a part of a local body of believers and believers ought to be deeply invested and committed to a local body of believers. <clears throat> but what are we supposed to, what are we supposed to think about formal church membership? Um, first, and this does answer part of the question from the email, uh, formal church, rec- formal church membership isn't the final measure of a faithful church. I think that there's wisdom behind it. Uh, I think that there's biblical evidence behind it, and we'll cover those things in a minute. Um, But that is not to say that a church without formal membership is a fallen church that believers should avoid. That is not what I'm saying at all. Uh, There's not a specific passage that we can point to in the Bible that gives kind of the outline or the definition or even the process, really, for church membership. So like a lot of these questions, uh, there's room for really good biblical discussion, I think. Uh, There's room for sharpening and growing and maturing in it, Um, but they should be tempered with a ton of God-honoring humility and uh, characterized by love for our brothers. So with all that being said, let me then go on to tell you why I think church membership is not only a good and wise thing to have in place, but why it's a biblical principle to have in place. Uh, So let's start with the biblical passages that seem to affirm at least some level of membership and organization in the local church. If you have your Bibles and you go to Acts chapter two, uh, we see the birth of the church. It's Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. It's that call for them to repent and believe in Christ and not because of anything Peter is, but because of the power of the spirit and the clarity of that God honoring message, people are saved. And you see that in Acts 2.41. Says, so then those who had been received excuse me so then those who had received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3000 souls and then if you fall down to acts 247 it says praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved and it talks about the adding of people and we're recognizing that that is an adding of those who are being saved that there are those who are saved and baptized but then you have to recognize that there is number associated with that, that it's not just this big kind of conglomeration of people, but that from the very beginning, the church knew how many had moved through that process of, uh, of saving faith, of obedience and baptism. That was a numbered thing from the very beginning. So does that tell us a whole lot about church member roles and organization? It doesn't, but it does say that from the very beginning, uh, the church itself in Jerusalem, what was a known quantity. If you turn over in your Bible a couple chapters to Acts chapter 6, you see kind of the first potential dividing crisis in the church. Uh, that's where you hear about the the struggle between the various groups of widows. Um, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews because uh, the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And what do the apostles do about that? Well, in Acts 6, 2, it says, The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a manful, and then it goes through the list of names. And what you see is a problem came up, in particular because particular widows were getting neglected. So there's a known body that has a known need attached to it, and that need was not being met. And so the solution 
is brought before a congregation, a recognized group of people. And that congregation is called to choose from among themselves men with particular character and qualifications to them, which means that a particular group of people was charged with a particular task, and that was to identify men who were known to them. It wasn't just a call put out broadly. It was a specific call to a specific group of people who were able to affirm other specific individuals to carry out this task. If you turn in your Bibles further to 1 Timothy chapter 5, it actually comes up in the area of widows again. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks about honoring widows, caring for them, uh, meeting their needs. It says that families ought to meet the needs of their parents, that there is honor and godliness in doing that. But then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Starting in verse nine, Paul writes, let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints feet, if she's assisted those in distress. And if she's devoted herself to every good work, several interesting things there. First of all, uh, widows are known. Second of all, it says they're put on the list. There's a recognized list or role of those who are in need, which seems to indicate that there's a known quantity of the church already. And beyond that, the widows are known by their reputation. There's been a particular evidence in their life over a long period of time. So there's a continual involvement in this one particular body that not only affirms their life circumstance, but affirms their character and their qualification to receive this aid and then puts them on a, a list, a particular organized list to receive that. And then uh, finally, there's lots of places we could go. But again, I think finally, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, we get this charge to those who lead and those who are led. And in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. A couple things in there. Obey your leaders and submit to them. What leaders are believers called to submit to? If there's no organization of the local church, there's no clear answer to that question. Uh, what leaders, what, what souls do leaders keep watch over it, it, without a known quantity, a known organization in the church, those questions become very difficult to answer as a pastor. This, this implies that I will give an account of those who I shepherd. Do I give an account for the life of every believer? here in Camarillo or in Ventura County or in Southern California or in all of California. How wide does that scope go? Well, who do I exercise any kind of spiritual authority over? It's only the particular flock that God has entrusted to me, a flock that is known, that has bounds to it, not in the sense that we keep people out, but bounds in the sense that we know who is in. Uh, every time the church is talked about in function, specifically in ministry or leadership function, it's a known group of people all the way down to when Paul closes out his letters, like in Romans and in Romans chapter 16, and he writes to that church in Rome, he knows who's a part of that church. He commends certain people. He calls uh, to give greeting, to give aid, to give help to certain people. Paul knows who is involved in that church because the church is an identified body. It's an identified group of people. So biblically, while we cannot say that there is the clear command that there ought to be formal church membership, that this is what it ought to look like. 
There is clear biblical evidence that church membership, the intentional, known, prolonged engagement with a single particular body of believers is absolutely a biblical idea. Beyond being a biblical idea, it is an incredibly wise, practical thing to have in place in a local church. First of all, it allows you to have doctrinal clarity and unity on things. The gospel has core matters that if you move to the right or to the left on those things, you are no longer a part of the universal church. And again, we can go through the deity of Christ and uh, how someone is saved, the nature of God, the nature of man. These are critical central issues. Beyond that, uh, the ways that various bodies interpret what we would call secondary issues, they, they change. They're distinct. What membership does is it allows us to clarify the doctrinal stance of a body of believers on particular issues. One of the valuable parts of our membership class is going through our statement of faith and saying, these are the things that we believe in. These are the core critical issues that our church stands on. And most of those are gospel issues, but our statement of faith also speaks to things like eschatology, the study of the end times, something that uh, you can disagree with me on and still be a part of the universal church. But it clarifies what our church teaches, what our church will preach about on those passages. And it brings doctrinal clarity and unity to the local body. Membership process also allows us to move into people's lives And as they are going through this process, as they would seek to be a part of the church, it helps us to clarify whether they are actually a part of the universal church. So it allows us to bring clarity into people's lives as we instruct them on what the church holds to be true. And we ask them if they hold those things to be true as well. So it provides for a unity within the body that simply uh, gathering a group of people on a Sunday does not. Uh, The second thing it does is that it allows us to practically work through questions of who is qualified to lead and who is equipped to serve. It's If you take passages like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 that talk about serving within the body, uh, the clear understanding is that God gives gifts to his people to build up the body, to strengthen the body, to equip the body to do the work of ministry that God has called it to do. That's out of Ephesians, but the same sense runs through Romans and Corinthians. It is difficult to get a sense of that without an understanding of who's part of the body. If God has given this body here, in our case, at Chapel City in Camarillo, exactly the gifts that we need to function in the way that he has called us to, to do the ministry that he's called us to, without an understanding of who is in the body, it makes it very difficult for us to understand what ministry we can carry out that we can accomplish. And beyond that, the idea of who would lead those ministries, who is given a position of responsibility in those ministries. If someone is simply a regular attender, I have no concrete understanding of their doctrinal commitment, of their biblical preparation. Membership allows us to move through a process of digging into someone's lives and having them dig into the understanding of the church so that we can move together in unity. It allows us to talk about who is qualified to be a leader within the church that you remember back in Acts chapter six is those deacons were chosen. They were chosen from among the membership because they were a known quantity. They had demonstrated long-term faithfulness in their lives. If you read through first Timothy chapter three and those qualifications for deacon and elder, uh, these are men uh, 
These are servants who are known to the church. Their character is known. Their quality is known. Their home life is known. The way that they conduct themselves is a known thing. That doesn't happen simply by uh, kind of a haphazard church attendance. Formal church membership allows us to carefully evaluate people's maturity so that we can entrust people with ministry and overall broad church leadership. And then finally, and very practically, especially in our day and age, is the idea of church discipline. The church discipline passages particular to Matthew's gospel. And then again, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, they imply that there is an in and an out. There's a body that obedience and dealing rightly with sin keeps you in. And that part of the discipline process in dealing with sin is that a final step is to be removed from that recognized known body. Church membership allows you to not only make people aware of that process, but it ensures that they understand that they are an active part of that process, that they will take part in the discipline process, that discipline between church members ought to be a continual part of what we do. We go to people that offend us that 99% of church discipline should end with step one. As believers talk about the ways that they are offended, as they quickly repent of those offenses that they do, and as relationships are restored. Church discipline should be a regular part, but as it moves through that process, as you bring two or three, as you tell it to the church, as that person still is hard and unrepentant and they are removed from the church, that implies a particular known body that they can be removed from. In particular to our specific, really, to our day and age, people are pushing against that because there's charges of, of slander, of uh, degrading someone's reputation, and it's even taken a legal turn in a couple of aspects. What a formal church membership process allows you to do, it allows you to outline that process and to remind people who would pursue membership that they are willingly taking part in that process for the strength of their walk and for the strength of the church and the purity of the church in general. That's a good thing to enter into. And so we call people to be a part of that. Does that shield us from all legal responsibility or potential for issues? Uh, Of course not. And we don't do things in the church to be legally off the hook. But practically, it is a way to ensure that those who participate in the church are aware of the church discipline process. And on the other side, it ensures that the church is clear about what the church discipline process looks like. So you take all of that and you put it together. And is church membership a final mark of a faithful church? No. But I would go so far as to say that church membership is a characteristic that could help determine a healthy church, and when used appropriately, certainly strengthens the church, unifies the church, helps to grow the church in relationship to one another and in maturity to follow Christ, and provides some really practical outworkings for how we do ministry. Thank you very much, Pastor Matt, and thank you to the listener who sent in those questions. If you have a question of your own, please email us, groundedwithmattround at gmail.com. Next week, Pastor Matt will be doing a missions trip in Mexico with Hugo Ministries, so we would appreciate your prayer for him as he goes through and does that. We're hoping to still have an episode out one way or another. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.